in that way. We're going to read of him now in Psalm 72. Psalm 72. It's described for us as a psalm of Solomon. But the language of it outreaches Solomon, speaks of a king, ineffably sublime, one whose majesty, whose glory and whose honour far exceeds that of any earthly monarch. Give the king your judgments, O God, and your righteousness to the king's son. He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. The mountains will bring peace to the people and the little hills by righteousness. He will bring justice to the poor of the people. He will save the children of the needy and will break in pieces the oppressor. They shall fear you as long as the sun and moon endure throughout all generations. He shall come down like rain upon the grass before mowing like showers that water the earth. In his days the righteous shall flourish and abundance of peace until the moon is no more. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Those who dwell in the wilderness will bow before him and his enemies will lick the dust. The kings of Tarshish and of the isles will bring presents. The kings of Sheba and Seba will offer gifts. Yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations shall serve him. For he will deliver the needy when he cries, the poor also, and him who has no helper. He will spare the poor and needy and will save the souls of the needy. He will redeem their life from oppression and violence, and precious shall be their blood in his sight, and he shall live. And the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Prayer also will be made for him continually, and daily he shall be praised. There will be an abundance of grain in the earth, on the top of the mountains. Its fruit shall wave like Lebanon, and those of the city shall flourish like grass of the earth. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun, and men shall be blessed in him. All nations shall call him blessed. Blessed be the Lord God the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. And blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen and amen. The sons, the prayers of David, the son of Jesse, are ended. Let's bow once more. O oh God, we come before you and we pray even now for the blessing and the glory of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, he is our King, our Lord, our Redeemer, our glorious Sovereign. Teach us both to know him and then righteously, rightly, humbly, expectantly to speak to him and for him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope every Christian here would say that we have prayed 
today. Sometimes I wonder if the Lord's days are the days on which private prayer and family prayer might get most squeezed out. But I trust we can at least say that when we have prayed as a body here, we have added the weight of our souls behind the petitions and praises that have been uttered, and we have sincerely added our Amen, so be it, not just at the end, but along the way. But if you have prayed today, apart from this, even if you've prayed as part of our services, how have you prayed? How do we pray normally? You pray perhaps in the morning as part of your morning devotions, trying to establish the tone of the day by hearing the voice of God as he speaks in his word and then calling upon the name of the Lord. Or you pillow your head at the end of the day. Before you get into bed, perhaps you kneel at the bedside or uh, once you're in bed, you, uh, you close your eyes not to sleep first, but to speak first to the Lord. Why do you pray? And for what do you pray? And for whom do you pray? What's the quality of our petitions and our praises? What's the character of our prayers? As you think about that, perhaps we should also ask the question, how should I enliven my prayers? How should I extend my prayers? How should I direct my prayers in a right way? By what means can I raise my eyes heavenward and my heart toward God as I pray? Let me put it a different way. How Christ-centred are our prayers? To what extent does the honour and glory of the Lord Jesus capture our souls when we pray? Or are we mainly, mostly taken up with other things? We're told to pray for kings and for those who are in authority. How much do you pray for the king of kings? In Psalm 72, as we work our way through this psalm, the king is set before us, the king in his beauty, the king in his glory. We're told in verse 15 that he shall live and the gold of Sheba will be given to him. Notice now the language of the last half of the verse. Prayer also will be made for him continually and daily he shall be praised. Prayer also will be made for the king continually and daily he shall be praised. Now taking that as an anchor point, what does this do for our praying? How does this condition and inform the prayers of God's people here? How does it inform my prayers individually and yours? How does it inform the prayers that we bring before God as we gather as families? How does it change the way that we pray from the pulpit and on our prayer meetings? The first thing I think it does is to take our prayers and it checks them and corrects them. Helps us to ask, am I praying as I could or should? Now, don't misunderstand me. When I say what I'm about to say, I'm not suggesting that uh, there's a, a kind of a narrow exclusivity 
in this, but I wonder if our prayers attain as often as they could or should to these particular heights, that prayer will be made for him, for our king, continually. I think about how I pray and how we pray. I'm pretty good at praying for me. Are you? You haven't got much time in the morning? Roll out of bed, or maybe before you roll out of bed, the time passes, the duvet is warm, the pillow and the mattress are reasonably comfortable, but somewhere between waking up and dragging yourself out and throwing yourself in the shower, whatever your morning routine is, you remember to pray. And if you do, I would imagine that at that point, what is uppermost in your mind are your own immediate and felt needs. What's going to happen in the next few minutes? What's going to happen in the course of that day? What might take place over the course of the week? Sometimes you, 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 you might pick up your phone. Uh, you might not, because that might be what actually stops you from getting to prayer in the first place. But you might look at your calendar, mightn't you, and say, what have I got on today? What's actually going to happen today? What do I need to pray about? And in measure, that's a proper concern. You've heard me say more often than once about you know, Luther's uh, embarrassing testimony that he had so much to do on a particular day that he had to spend another three hours in prayer before he could get on with it. And you sort of think, that just uh, exposes and shames me. Now, there may be a proper concern in that regard, unless that I myself end up being the object and the focus of my praying. My here and now my daily needs there's a proper place for a concern for my daily bread but often prayers for me are immediately practical immediately physical my felt needs at that moment but i might cast the net a little wider we pray for us I pray for us and we pray for us. What do we pray for? We pray for our church. And there's a proper sense in which we can speak of it in that way. The people of God who have covenanted together, who've committed to one another in this place. And perhaps we, we pray for our circle. We have our, uh, and I don't think it's a bad thing to have it, we have our uh, prayer rotor. We have Sunday by Sunday, those other congregations with which we enjoy a particular relationship and they tend to be churches like us, or at least a, a little more like us. They're the people we fit with naturally, and we pray for them. And we pray, if you like, for our denomination. We pray for uh, Reformed Baptists, or we pray for Evangelical Christians. We pray for our tribe, as the language may be. And we want to be stable. We want to be advancing. We want to see health and strength and conviction. And we might pray for you. I might pray for you and you might pray for one another. How is that reflected on a Wednesday evening? <coughs> this leg, that arm, those legs, his brain, her lungs, whatever it may be, and the that the parade of immediate and present needs comes before us. Jobs and houses and health, all proper concerns in their proper place. But we see ourselves as weak and as poor and as sick and as stressed 
and we pray accordingly. We're pressed in upon by the immediate difficulties and demands of life together. And we might pray for them. We look out a little wider still. We think about the lost. And yet, are we praying for them as we should? Do we sometimes pray for them because we're afraid that the church will get smaller or poorer? Do we just want a bit more fresh meat, as it were, a bit more cannon fodder, people to do the work, people to, uh, to uh, fill up the places, people to give the money, people to get on with the job, people who will prove to others who may be watching that we're, we're really quite credible as a church and we deserve a good reputation. Now, why do I speak like this? Because some of those requests and desires are not inherently wrong. But our petitions and our praises tend to focus on what we think or feel that we need and then what we believe or calculate that we have actually received. How often do you praise in prayer? I mean really praise because I think there's a significant, or at least a, I think it's significant, it may also be subtle, a distinction to be made between praise and thanksgiving. <coughs> I can give thanks for things received, but I sometimes wonder if my thanksgiving ends up taking the place of praise. Praise is adoration. Praise is hymning someone, speaking of, of what belongs to them inherently it's the language of worship it's the language of adoration and I wonder if most of my praises are actually some kind of thanksgivings wearing a slightly brightly coloured mask that actually I praise God because he's done this for me now again is that wrong no no it's not but I think where this statement that prayer also will be made for him continually and daily he shall be praised where we are checked and corrected in our prayers is that this reminds us impresses upon us that our praying is often shallow it's often narrow it becomes short-sighted it can be restricted even limited, ultimately selfish. If I were to weigh my prayers over the course of a day, the course of a week, apportion them out in terms of who and what and why I pray, do you not think that I would have some concerns that my prayers are for me and for us and for you and for them? and that they often reach no higher and go no further. Put it this way. If the Lord God had answered all your prayers this week, what would actually have changed? Would you be a little bit wealthier? A little bit healthier? A little bit happier? A little bit more stable? Jobs going a little bit easier? Teachers have been fairly kind at school. A few issues have been sorted out. 
Perhaps you'd have bought something. Perhaps you'd have sold something. Perhaps someone would have been restored to a measure of health and strength. Would anything have really changed in terms of our spiritual condition? What alteration would there be in the kingdom of the King of Kings on the back of our prayers individually and collectively over the course of the last seven days? Prayer also will be made for him continually and daily he shall be praised. That, I think, elevates and directs our prayers. Now notice I don't say it utterly and entirely changes them, but I think it shifts the focus. It is what lifts our eyes and lifts our hearts. We are to pray for the king, not simply to the king, but for the king. Now we don't pray for the king of kings the way we pray for our king. We don't pray for the Lord Jesus Christ the way we pray for King Charles. The King of Kings doesn't depend on our prayers. We're not praying for Christ Jesus as our King because if we don't, somehow something is going to go wrong for him. We pray for him because we desire his glory, his honour and his blessing, the display of his majesty. And our prayers in our petitions and our praises ought to be for and toward him. Do we pray when we pray for the glory of his name? There's a sense in which he himself taught us to pray in this way. When you pray, pray like this, saying, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's a very proper concern that the majesty of the king be magnified, that the honour and glory that belong to him be displayed, to be praised and adored by all. Are we persuaded of, of the excellence of Christ in such a way that we are grieved by the fact that he is not worshipped as he ought to be? Were our souls stirred this morning as we saw the Sanhedrin mocking and scorning? Are you truly this son of man? Are you really this son of God? And our hearts respond, yes, yes he is. He is the Lord most high. He is the Lord of glory. He is the king of kings. He is the almighty conqueror. He is the redeemer of his people. And to him honour and worship and glory belong. The lamb on his throne is worthy of adoration. Prayer will be made for him that his name might be exalted and the extension also of his kingdom. Your kingdom come. That we want to see Christ, as it were, marching forward in this world, conquering and to conquer. That he would give life from the death, that he would display his saving power. The gathering in of his elect. Save them, O God. Why? For your name's sake. Some of you, we want you to be saved because we love you. But more than the fact that we love you, we love God. And we want to see God magnified in your salvation. Your blessing, your greatest and highest joys are not secured by us praying for you with your happiness as the ultimate goal. 
but for Christ and his glory as the ultimate goal. Lord, save the hard cases. Save our young people. Save our regular visitors. Save them because of your great name. Why should you pray to God that he would save you? Save me because I don't want to go to hell. That's a proper concern. Save me because I want to be happy. That's not utterly illegitimate. Save me because life at the moment is full of emptiness and misery. That's true. But if there's no sense, save me for your name's sake. Show yourself a God to me. Magnify yourself in my deliverance. Do we pray for the obedience of his saints? That we would do his will and honour his rule? Lord, that our lives would reflect the lives of those who walk in the ways of the King of Kings. I wear his livery. Lord, grant that we may honour you in the way in which we live. And as we think then about the glory of his name and the extension of his kingdom and the bringing in of his chosen ones and the obedience of his saints, are we praying for his preachers, for those who testify the good news? that God would make his men faithful and fruitful, that he would hold them to our task and that he would enable us to conduct ourselves in such a way that we will preach this Christ so that he is seen in his excellence, so that his glory and his majesty are declared not just accurately and not just feelingly, but effectually to grip the hearts of men and women. Do you pray for the depth of his worship, that it would be in spirit and truth, that there would be a purity to it and a substance to it, that when we, why are we studying the way that we sing? Is it to make us more intelligent singers, more skilled singers, more confident singers, more conscientious singers, or people who from our hearts worship the King of Kings? So we pray that his worship would be such as pleases him. Do you pray for the speed of his return? What are those last phrases in the Bible loaded with? Oh, come quickly, Lord Jesus. That's praying for him. That's praying for him continually. That's asking that he might be magnified. Do you long for his return? Is your heart taken up with him? Do you ever desire above all things to see his face? That face that was battered and bruised for you, that body that was beaten and, and bruised on your behalf, that man who hung upon the cross, that you would be able to see him, the lamb, as if he had been slain, with those precious wounds still marking his humanity, but now with a glory that is beyond our present calculation and such a glory that only your glorified eyes would truly be able to drink it in and appreciate and enjoy it. Now, do you see how that elevates and how that directs our prayers from being these shallow little things, my here and now, they become deep petitions for they reach up to heaven and they encompass all that we know concerning our king from narrowness we go to wideness we extend beyond our normal bounds 
If I'm praying for the, the kingdom of Christ to come, for the kingdom of God to be manifest, then you see it stops me just praying for my particular friends. It stops me just asking that the people I know and like will be in some way blessed. I become content for God to be magnified as and where and when he will, whether it's in the correcting of error or the purifying of worship or the growth of his kingdom. And if I've prayed like that, and it's a, another congregation that sees blessing, it's other people and you think, well, but, but they've not been doing what we've been doing. You see, I, I can't be selfish any longer. Why? Because I didn't ask that I'd get a good deal. I asked that Christ would be magnified and that Christ would be glorified. My prayers become these far-reaching and expansive petitions because they're yoked to the kingdom of Christ, because they're connected with the glory of his name. There becomes a generosity in my prayers. Not just that I no longer pray for, for my little circle and my little world, but when I pray for God's people, what am I praying Yes, I might pray that you might prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. But I will be asking that Christ would be magnified in you. That God would be pleased to take you and by his spirit to form Christ in you in such a way that your communion with him is enhanced and sweetened. That your likeness to him is advanced and increased. That your ability to serve is extended. That your willingness to honour him in thought and word and deed is enhanced. My heart and my desires are stretched as I think about the rule and the coming of the King of Kings. It stops me thinking in these constrained and shriveled little ways. It opens up my heart opens up my mouth, yokes my expectations to nothing less than the progress of Messiah in his glory. Doesn't that then change my praises? His wisdom. To see the way he works in the world. To think of the way he conducts his sovereign business. To understand then something of the way that he goes about the, the care of his flock. To praise his kindness. To think of the way that he lavishes his love upon his people in every place. Calling them to himself. And my sense of what that kindness is, is expanded, is enhanced. His power to understand now something more of what it means for this king to govern all the earth and in particular then for the sake of his people to rule over all things to understand that in every place the eye of the Lord is on his people that he is directing them, providing for them, caring for them as the great shepherd of his sheep to praise his justice because even though I may not always understand it, nevertheless I know that he is the king who does what is right. And both those desires for his glory in salvation and for his majesty revealed in his condemnation of all wickedness and his ultimate scouring of it from the earth which he has made. Now I praise him because my God does what is right. And I love his goodness. 
I love the the tender mercies of his heart which are revealed. And I know more of them and I expect more of them. And I'm looking for them in other places because it's no longer in, in these little dribs and drabs. But it's rather in the great expanse of his kingdom and the advance of his honor. His rule stuns me as I consider its completeness, its complexity, its certainty and its progress in the earth. The peace that he gives, peace with God, peace amongst his people. The favours that he bestows so that even the salvation blessings which I enjoy, I see in clearer and closer connection with him. I stop thinking of the blessings apart from the one who blesses. I stop counting out the benefits and I start considering the benefactor. I still love the gifts, but oh, how I adore the giver because every good and perfect gift has come down from the Father of lights. Christ himself is mine and in and with Christ all these good things. And so rather than my thanksgivings masquerading as praises, my thanksgivings take on a life of their own because of what I have received and my praises are connected and focused and directed to the king in his beauty, to the Lord in all his glory. And I appreciate that in his blessing, in his excellence, in his majesty, in his security, in the certainties of his reign, in the blessing and the honour of his name, all my real blessings are ultimately and most assuredly grounded as well. For if the king rules in might and glory, then the kingdom is safe. If his throne is set on high, then all who belong to him are happy and secure. If all of this is found in him and you and I are in him, then we are blessed and rejoicing indeed. My friends, if I want to be a happy, holy, healthy Christian, if I want to be a part of a thriving and a stable and a joyful congregation... I pray first and above all for the King of Kings and I praise his name. And all these other things shall be added unto us. So when do I do this? My prayers are being checked and corrected as I think about what it means to praise, to pray for the King and to praise him daily. My prayers are being elevated and directed as I think of the fact that I have scope for petitions which I might never have calculated. My eyes are lifted up. My heart is drawn heavenward. I'm there in the heavenlies with my eyes and my soul fixed upon Christ as he sits at the right hand of God. That's where my, my being is. I'm seated with him now in that glorious place. And all that he has is mine. If I pray for him, if I want his excellent name to be honoured, then I am happy indeed. And so my prayers are expanded and intensified. Prayer will be made for him continually and daily he will be prayed, praised. Now, even some of the petitions that we've mentioned this evening... 
They're not going to be needed in heaven. I won't need to pray that the elect will be gathered in. They will all be there. And at that point, my petitions will turn to praises. But might I not in heaven still pray for the honour and the glory of his name? Might I not still pray that I might learn more of him? Might I not ask that he would continue to work amongst his people? Not that they are not then glorified, not that there's something lacking in the kind of our blessings, but that we might more and more honour and praise him. Do you not think there'll be more to learn of Christ in glory than you ever imagined upon earth? Do you not think with your expanded capacities, with eternity in which to study, it might not be proper to ask that you would be able to magnify the King of Kings more than you have ever done upon earth? Others of these petitions then, some come to an end with my death, some come to an end with the return of Jesus Christ, others will echo on forever and forever. Prayer will be made for him continually, ceaselessly, regularly, perpetually, fueled by our appetite for the magnification of his majesty. My friends, if I start praying for the king, I'll never run out of fuel. I'll never spend a few scant seconds in prayer and say, I think that's got it covered. Because there's an infinity and an eternity in him. And my petitions might reach as far as I could possibly imagine. And they'll still be swallowed up in the immensity of the Son of God. And my praises, those are daily. Always some new and some new, uh, some new and some fresh delight revealed, experienced and enjoyed. See, if all my blessings are on the horizontal, my praises will be shallow and shriveled. But when I began to understand what he is worthy of, you think of how we, we sing sometimes. Jesus is worthy to receive praise and honour divine. How do you praise the divine? Again, your declarations are swallowed up in his glory. The trackless wastes of the beauties and the glories of the King of Kings. Will you ever reach the end of Christ? Will you ever exhaust his glory, his bounty? My friends, there is an infinitude of majesty in him even when we come to the world which is to come those deeper and higher revelations of his character and kingdom we shall have an eternal day in which to exalt him what did the queen of Sheba say when she came to see Solomon in all his glory they didn't tell me the half And the most heightened flights of human eloquence, the most glorious sermons you've ever heard, the most magnificent preachers you've ever read, the most stunning recordings of preaching that you've ever played.
plugged into from a distance. You could gather all the preachers of history, the golden-tongued John, the church fathers with their sweeping sense of God's majesty, reformers, men of the evangelical revival, the Puritans before them, the Spurgeons and the Archibald Browns and the Lloyd Joneses and I don't know who else you want to put in that. You could bring them all together and say, you tried your best, fellas. <laughs> but between you, you've barely scratched the surface of the worthiness and the majesty of the king whom you tried to describe. I think my prayers so often fall short because they are not, firstly and fundamentally for him. I think if my prayers are continually for him and my praises daily toward him, that it won't so much mean that I never pray in any of these other ways, but that those prayers start to fit better. They start to hold in their place. They start to arrive in their proper perspective. They start to, to be seen in their proper perspective they start to be arranged according to their right proportion. They hang off my great concerns that Christ will be glorified and his name will be praised. And that, my friends, is the way that we truly sustain prayer. I don't mean the way we keep praying for longer than usual. I mean the, the sustaining of it in the sense of the, 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 the holding up of it, the pressing on with it, the, the eagerness of our expectations, the, the strivings and the longings. At my most selfish and my most self-centred, if I only pray for myself, I'll run out pretty quickly. If you're wrapped up in yourself, you'll make a very, very small parcel. When you're wrapped up in Christ... That will make you pray. That will stretch you higher. It will carry you further. It will draw you deeper. It will demand an engagement of soul that is drawn out willingly from you because it's for him and he is worthy. It's toward him and he is to be praised. Do I want to be earnest and eager in prayer? We want our church prayer meetings less to, to tread the hamster wheel of the things that we typically pray for and to add in sometimes a few new things along the same lines and to shake off some of those routines and repetitions to be enlivened so that even the things for which we do still pray are prayed for with a, with a new appreciation how they connect to Christ as our King. That the scope of our praying and the scope of our expecting answers to those prayers will be shifted even radically. That there will be heights and depths both in our petitions and our praises, in our yearnings, in our expectations, in our longings and our lookings that we have not known before. To pray for him continually 
and daily to praise his name will put all our other desires in their proper place and proportion. It will tune my heart and it will tune my words. It will tune my hands for expectant service. To serve him in the light of what we have prayed, that will be delight. That will be eagerness. Why? Because he's the king of kings. His name shall endure forever. His name shall continue as long as the sun. Men shall be blessed in him. Do you want blessing? Pray for the king. Do you want to be blessed yourself? Pray for the king. Do you want to be blessed in the church? Pray for the king. Do you want to see the blessing extend? Pray for the king. Do you want to see the kingdom of darkness fall? Pray for the king. Do you want to see the kingdom of God come in its power, both in grace and then in glory? Pray for the king. Make him the first object of your petitions. Make him the prime concern in your praises. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who only does wondrous things. Blessed be his glorious name forever. And let the whole earth be filled with his glory. Amen.